and welcome to another edition of Puck Talk. I'm your host, Jack Woods, of course. We're back, baby. We are back, and we're ready to talk some hockey here in Greencastle. You are listening into 91.5 WGRE. It has been a while since we were able to talk hockey here in the studio, but we are back. We're back for the semester, and we'll be coming at you twice a week now in two-hour segments. I am, of course, missing my wonderful partners, Ben Hatchett and Matt Puste, but we still have a lot of things to talk about in terms of the hockey world, so... We officially start the show with the standings. Now, the standings look a little bit different than the last time we talked on the Christmas show. So starting in the Eastern Conference in the Metropolitan Division, the Washington Capitals still holding it down, baby. 65 points, followed swiftly by the Pittsburgh Penguins in second with 59 points, and the New York Islanders with 58 points. The Atlantic Division, the Boston Bruins, much like the Washington Capitals last time, holding it down. 65 points. Tampa Bay Lightning coming in second place. 58 points. And then the Toronto Maple Leafs, who got off to a rocky start, fired Mike Babcock, and suddenly they're back in the mix. 54 points, third place. Moving on down to the Western Conference, St. Louis still has a strong hold in the Central Division with 65 points in first place. Dallas Stars, hottest team since October. 56 points, second place. And then the Colorado Avalanche wound out the top three with 55 points. And then at the Pacific Division, all is right in the world. Calgary with 55 points, Arizona with 54 points, and the Vegas Golden Knights with 54 points. In terms of individual stats, Connor McDavid, not surprisingly, still on a huge point streak. 71 points, followed by Leon Dreisaitl and Nathan McKinnon. Goals, David Pasternak. Still killing it up in Boston. Austin Matthews, 31 goals. Nathan McKenna with 27. And in terms of defensemen, Roman Yossi on a, I believe, an 11 game point streak, 14 goals, 32 assists. Roman Yossi is on fire right now. John Carlson still leads all defensemen with 55 points and the difference between Carlson and Yossi are the assist numbers and Tristan Jerry has emerged as the hottest goaltender and that is the reason why the Pittsburgh Penguins have climbed all the way back into second place in the Metropolitan Division without Sidney Crosby. Now I want to talk a little bit about the Penguins in honor of Ben not being here, but Penguins currently are 7-2 and 1 on a two-game win streak. The last time we talked about the Pittsburgh Penguins, they were in not such a great place. Not such a great place at all. And it appears that minus Crosby, Evgeny Malkin and Jake Gensel have picked it up, have picked it up. Folks, we're going to take a very short break because we have a very special guest in George Matarangas, who is a analytics person for Penalty Box Radio. You're listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. Okay, so Sarah, I'm dropping you off at Emily's. Yep. And Josh, you're going to? Soccer, Dad. Soccer practice. Right. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to let you know when I pick you both up, I'll be wearing my short shorts. What? No! Yep. And my dorky dad hat, and I'm going to do my dad dance for all your friends. They'll love it! Seriously? Why? Because I like my short shorts. Of course, I could be talked out of it if you guys would just buckle up your seatbelts without giving me a hard time. It's important to get your kids to buckle up for safety, no matter what it takes. 
And sometimes, all it takes is your parental powers of persuasion. Okay, okay, we're buckling up. See, all buckled. Good choice. I'll just have to do my dad dance at dinner time. What, what? No! Do what you have to to make sure your kids are wearing their seatbelts, even on short drives. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information. Welcome back to Puck Talk with Spider Jack. Joining me now is George Matarangas. George Matarangas is an analytics writer for Penalty Box Radio. He tracks predators, microstats, and he hosts an analytics podcast between the fangs with Penalty Box Radio. George, how are you doing today? Oh, not too bad. Uh, not too bad, eh? Well, yeah, it, can't, it could be a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, George, I just wanted to get kind of just dive right into it. We here up in Greencastle here in Indiana, we tend to focus on simple stats, goals, assists, points. We tend to forget about plus minus cuz that's the most useless statistic in hockey, but we don't really make a huge deal about the advanced analytics side of hockey, but it turns out it's becoming more and more important to look at these numbers and to look at what these players are doing on an analytical level. And, George, I just want to know, why make such a big deal about these analytics, about all these advanced stats, Corsi 4, expected goals? What's what's the big deal? I mean, when you really get back down to it, analytics are just facts. Like It's just taking what happens during a game and writing it down. It's it's just like your eyes are going to lie to you, and when we actually take a very deep look into it, this is truly one of the best things to do. Like to actually to look at it into a game without any bias. Otherwise, you're going to focus on one or two things that happen, and you're going to miss ninety five percent of the picture. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, the eye test typically lies because if you look at an eye test at a player such as Austin Watson of the Nashville Predators and you look at the way he lays hits and you look at the way that he sacrifices his body on the penalty kill and you look at the way that he, you know, just throws his body on the line every single night, it might deceive you to think that he is a a, a useful player, if you will. Would you agree? Yeah, I definitely agree. And a lot of that comes back to how we view hockey as a whole. I mean, blocks and hits were kind of viewed as like this defensive stat, but it truly isn't anymore. Now we now we kind of understand that, you know, if you're going to be throwing a lot of hits or you're going to be blocking a lot of shots, it means you're playing without the puck. And when you're playing without the puck, it means you're playing defense a lot. And, you know, that's really what, what you don't want. No, it's not what you want, and you know this is becoming an offensive game. It's becoming a game that depends on cool goals to keep fans around. It's no longer the old ways of the world. It's no longer the um, you know lay the body and play the body, not the puck. It, we're starting to move away from that, and I think that that's a good thing in terms of players' health, in terms of players' safety. And this is where advanced analytics come in because now you're starting to see who can't change with the times and who can now if uh sort of moving sort of going off of that is there a player who maybe doesn't look very good from the eye but is actually extremely useful 
uh, for the Nashville Predators, say? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think that uh, there's a lot of really good players on that team. I mean, Joe Hansen's had a pretty tough season, but he's still doing a lot of good things that are you know, small and you have to look for. Maybe Mikhail Granlin, too. Um, yeah, otherwise, I, I think Granlin and Joe Hansen are, are my two big candidates for that. Otherwise, Dante Fabro has also looked pretty good, too, if you really get down into the nitty-gritty of it. Yes, he has, and looking at what Dante Fabro has done in terms of transitional play, you know, uh, entries and exits tracked by you. Actually, the he George just put out an article where he personally tracked zone entries and exits, and it turns out that Dante Fabro has improved tremendously over there over the course of the season thus far. He wasn't playing as solid as he could have, wasn't really stepping up into the Subban skates, if you will, at the beginning of the year. Now he's starting to level out. But going off of a different category, Pecorini and UC Soros have not been good this year, have they? Oh, no, not at all. No, they haven't. Um, even with Pecorini's three shutouts, his save percentage is still below 900. Do you believe that Pecorini was the reason... Well. Throw you see, Soros. Do you believe that Soros and Rene were the reasons that Laviolette was shown the door? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna say that those they were probably the last, the last straw. You know, they were the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, it, it, when you go, when you get really down into it, like five on five, both Soros and Rene actually have above 900 save percentage. In, uh, reading to the point where you actually have a 9-2-7. But when you go and look like their penalty kill, I mean, things just look so dire. And I think that that's kind of what killed up is that special teams play for Rene. And you know, when, when all was said and done and both goalies had you know, a 8-9-4 state percentage or below, I mean, it just it really accentuated what was going poorly with the Predators. Yeah, and UC Soros has, I believe, been objectively better in terms of positioning and making saves. Pecorine has been good in the high-danger areas, and UC Soros has been good in the low-danger areas. And it's like if you would just combine the two stats, they would be they would be fine, and Laviolette would still have a job. But <laughs> um, Pecorine... Has age finally caught up to him, or is he just kind of in this weird meta slump that he'll eventually snap out of? That's a good question, and one that I don't have the answer to. Once the goalie turns 30, or even like 30, uh, uh, there's a chance that they hit that wall and they never bounce back. Well, and that's where UC Soros is for, and UC Soros has picked up some slack he has started 21 games where Pecorine started 27. Last year, probably would have been a little bit more up in Rene's numbers in terms of games played and games started. But Pecorine hasn't, their records aren't terrible, but they're not good enough, especially in the division that they play in and especially in the conference that they play in. They need to be playing better. There was the second goal on the power play against Chicago where. Alex Debrinkit undressed Dan Hamhuse, and Rene sold out. Rene just sold out. He tried to go forward, and then Debrinkit makes one move with his stick, and suddenly Rene's reaching behind 
with his big goalie stick. So that's not good. He needs to stay in the net. He needs to stay in the blue ice. You know, I guess here's another question that's sort of a curveball. Why do you think perimeter players like James Neal thrived under LaViolette and guys like Kyle Turris who live for slot feeds didn't really get with the program? Ooh, that, that is yet, yet again another great question. Now, I think a lot of this has to deal with players like James Neal having a better uh, uh, a better shot just in general. Uh, I think that, that plays a lot into it. But at the same time, you know, we, we've started to see a lot of players that arrived in the slot, like Victor Arvidsson, actually not play in the slot anymore. I mean, I know right now that his... Uh, Expected or his individual expected goal uh, is actually down right now, as well as his just uh, individual high danger chances created. And I think that he's actually in the uh, in the bottom in the bottom half of, of high danger passes received. So even even though he's playing with Johansson and Forsberg, I mean he's just not getting to you know where where he thrives. Uh, and I, I don't know how it's going to change in the system, but I can tell you that was a big part of what made uh, you know the joke going great was because he was willing to go to those dirty areas. Meanwhile, Forsberg and Johansson were so good at getting in the puck. Well, do you think that that magic can be regathered, re- revamped, I guess, brought back under John Hines? Do you think that they can find that magic again, or do you think Victor Arvins is just like, you know what, I'm tired of getting cross-checked in the middle of the back. I think I'm just going to play on the perimeter. I mean, it's made him so much money so far. You know, he's kind of like a whole <laughs> dog at this point. You know, he, he knows exactly what to do. Um, I, I do wonder if that... Uh, that hit from, from I think was it Robert Bertuzzo or uh, it was Bertuzzo was who, it was Bertuzzo that yeah. put Arvidsson out 12 games yeah I think I wonder if that played a bit of an effect into it even if it was just like a you know a psychological effect well I mean he's human right and if, mm-hmm. it, it, if that's what we forget about these guys is that they're human he doesn't want to get hurt. He doesn't want to take a dirty cross check in the back. He doesn't want to get another cheap shot after the play's over. I mean, Arvidsson, rightfully so, maybe doesn't want to go back to that area right now. But I think that in order, if the Jofa line is going to be more successful and if numbers are going to improve for Johansson, Arvidsson, and Forsberg, he's going to have to go back to those areas or Forsberg's going to have to take a shift in there or maybe Johansson. I'm not really sure. But objectively, what really concerns me and it's weird saying this is the Predators' offense. They have been relying so much on Roman Yossi, on Nick Benino, who's finally cooled down, as we all expected him to. But looking at numbers, Victor Arvidsson missed 12 games, and he's only five goals away from being tied with Philip Forsberg for the most on the team. So there's been balanced scoring, but I don't think there's been... I guess, the same kind of level of scoring that needs to be there. And yet, objectively, they're one of the hottest offenses in the league. So what are your thoughts on the Nashville's offense? It's super interesting because when you take a look, they're just they're tied for fourth uh, in goals for five on five and actually are in second place for goals for per 60. But when you look at the underlying numbers, it's totally not sustainable. 
I mean, they have the fourth highest shooting percentage in the league. And a lot of that comes from uh, quantity, not quality. You know, they have the sixth most attempts per 60 minutes played, and they have the fourth most shots per 60 minutes played. But that said, they have the 13th most expected goals for per 60, and the 14th most scoring chances per 60. And worse yet, is the 19th, yeah, they're 19th most in, uh, in high danger chances per, per 60. And so it's kind of, it, it really, it doesn't look good. A lot of it's just coming from, you know, we're, we're going to get so many shots on that eventually one of these is going to go in. And when you have Ryan Ellis and, you know, Matias Ekholm and Roman Yossi, who are all good shots, you know, maybe that's going to happen more often than not. But it's not something that I would base an offense around. Yeah, and uh, like you said, unsustainable. Nick Benino, even without a point in a while, is still shooting at 18.2%. Last time time I checked, they had over nine players that were shooting above league average. Yes, even guys like um, Rocco Grimaldi is shooting at 11% on the year. I mean, it's kind of like, I guess I'm living in a twilight zone because I'm not sure what the Predators need in terms of offense because it seems that they're doing fine, but really they're not. Uh, Philip Forsberg is shooting at 12.6%. Nick Benino is shooting at 18.2%. Cali Arncroke is shooting at 12.2%. Matt Duchesne is shooting at 11% with 10 goals. Matt Duchesne has been... Underwhelming, I would say, in terms of what the Predators needed from him and what he's actually provided. Your thoughts on Matt Duchesne? I mean, Matt Duchesne was kind of always, to me, uh, as I've advertised, he was a, a second-line center that played with Artemi Panarin and Mark Stone. That was always going to help his cause, but, you know, I really like Philip Forsberg, but he's not those two other players. And it's not his fault. He's great in his own way, but... You know, you, you, you can't, yeah, you, you can't mask that. You, yeah, you, yeah, you can't replicate that super easy. No, you can't, and it's kind of hard to judge where this team's going to go when you look at the way the rest of their conference, the way the the rest of their division is playing. Looking at say Colorado's offense, Nathan McKinnon has twenty seven goals and thirty nine assists. 66 points. And you just look at... He is. And you just look at everything going from top to bottom. And Colorado does not have as balanced of an offense in terms of who's creating goals and chances. But they are just so good. The Colorado Avalanche are just so good right now. And forget forget what the standings say. Colorado is one of the strongest teams in the league, wouldn't you say? I would definitely agree. And it, it is, it's so interesting because they play a very defense-first style. Or maybe not defense-first, but they use their defense so much. And you take a look at how they use, like, Kale McCarr and Sam Gerrard versus how the Predators use Roman Gossi and Ryan Ellis. And it's totally different. You know, instead of taking shots along the perimeter – they're using these players to drive play and actually move the puck into the zone. And it's just, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I haven't seen anything like this probably since the Predators and their their uh, their cup run, where like Matisse, Eichelman, Roman Yossi would, would fiercely move the puck 
deep into the zone and try to work it into the slot like that. Yeah, and that's the reason that guys like Mike Fisher, Colin Wilson, and Victor Arvidsson thrived in that postseason is because they went to the slot and the puck was able to get to them in the slot. Yeah, and I don't have the numbers for then, so I can't speak to how it was for then versus now. But I mean, right now they've only attempted about in the in the thirty games or so that I've tracked about. 352 uh, uh, slot passes, of which they've only completed 135. The worst yet is uh, 67 of those have only come from four players, which is Johansson, Yossi, Duchesne, and Forsberg. So it's just under 50% coming from 50. Yeah. It's, it's really not good. No, it's not. It's not good. And the fact that they still are, they're two games down, and they're, I believe, five points away from being out of the wild card position. So as of right now, they would not make the playoffs. But given the current trend, well, I, it's well, that's just it. It's kind of hard to say that they're going to make the playoffs now, especially since they just had a new system change under John Hines. Now, John Hines did not have a great time over in New Jersey, but that's not really his fault. He didn't have a good roster. He didn't. He had to rely on Taylor Hall a little bit too much. What do you suspect will happen with the new system change under John Hines? So, from what I've heard and what I've seen just from his time in New Jersey, he, does, he seems to be one of those coaches that favors taking the right shot over as many shots as possible, which sounds very promising. Uh, I'm still a little not certain what he's going to do. Just from what I've heard out of like media, everything, he kind of seemed like he wasn't going to change things like too much. And you don't you don't have to change the defense. Like, I think the defensive structure is actually working, and if the goaltending was just average, you'd start you'd start winning a lot more games. But if he's not going to do anything to the offense, then you're just you're going to be banging your head against the wall. It's going to be the same thing over and over again. Well, it looked like well, uh, and the eye test might be deceiving, but it looked like in the first period against the Chicago Blackhawks, where they scored three goals in very, very, very dirty areas, they were trying to fight for the middle of the ice. They were trying to get into the slot area. They were trying to take good shots. I don't think there was a single point shot from any of the defensemen and I go back to Victor Arvidsson's goal the first goal of the game where Forsberg draws two defenders in and Yossi is able to slip into the slot I think that type of play is going to benefit them the most and I think that if they're able to move on with this system and continue to do this system of getting into the slot they'll be successful what do you think is going to happen if they continue to get to the dirty areas? I mean, they're going to score more goals. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Uh, Obviously. Yeah. I, I really I really agree with what you were saying about the first period looking better, though. I like that quite a bit, and I, I hope it does continue. It was a little worrying to see the second and third period, and they kind of fell back into that Laviola trap. But, again, first first period we're in the first game where John Hines is really like is coaching it because apparently that the actual first game 
he was more observing and trying to see what was going on. And against the worst possible team to do it with, against the oh, Boston absolutely. Bruins, nonetheless. Um, yeah. yeah, not a great game against the Boston Bruins, but looking at the second and third periods, I still think that there are some positive things to take away. I think the Predators were playing on the perimeter a little bit. They were chasing the puck, but that's when you need Pecorine to step up. So they're still down Dante Fabro, Ryan Ellis, and Colton Sissons, who... Dante Fabro and Ryan Ellis have had good seasons thus far, and Colton Sissons maybe hasn't had a good season thus far. But what do you think will happen once Fabro and Ellis get back in the mix? It's going to make their defense a lot better. <laughs> Not playing Yannick Weber 20 minutes and going to be a big, big deal. <laughs> well, George, we got to change. We have to take a very quick break here. You are listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. Put aside logic. Do do what feels right. I'm completely operational and all my circuits are functioning perfectly. A new power is rising. It seems to run on some form of electricity. Dilithium chambers at maximum. Got it. The purpose of a party is to have fun together. We'll use a microphone, which is a sort of mechanical air. Hi. Because I like my short shorts. Of course, I could be talked out of it if you guys would just buckle up your seatbelts without giving me a hard time. It's important to get your kids to buckle up for safety, no matter what it takes. And sometimes, all it takes is your parental powers of persuasion. Okay, okay, we're buckling up. See, all buckled. Good choice. I'll just have to do my dad dance at dinner time. What, what? No! Do what you have to to make sure your kids are wearing their seatbelts, even on short drives. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information. Put aside logic. Do, 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 do what feels right. I'm completely operational and all my circuits are functioning perfectly. A new power is rising. It seems to run on some form of electricity. Dilithium chambers at maximum. Got it. The purpose of a party is to have fun together. We'll use a microphone, which is a sort of mechanical air. <laughs> WGRE. WGRE. Your sound alternative. WGRE. Welcome back to Puck Talk with Spider Jack. On the line right now is George Matarangas, an analytics writer for Penalty Box Radio who covers the Nashville Predators. So, George, we were just talking about John Hines. We were just talking about system change. Predators are getting to the slot. More goals. Ellis and Fabro are going to come back. It's going to be great. But there's a player that is cemented in Predators history that is not playing right now, Colton Sissons. Colton Sissons isn't having a great year offensively or defensively. What do you think has contributed to, I guess, Colton Sissons' bad year? That's not the greatest word for it, but what's contributing to Colton Sissons right now? If I had to put money down on it, I I would say... Not playing with Nick Medino while also playing with Austin Wilds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll, yeah, you that'll, that'll do it. it. Sorry. Go ahead, Joy. I mean, um, it's it's not great. It's not great the fact that they've been paired together once again. Yeah, and like you look at his deployment and his usage and who he's playing against, and not a lot of it has changed. Like, he's still seeing a lot of the same matchups as last year. 
and you know you have to wonder what's going on. There's not there wasn't a big injury or there wasn't there wasn't anything really that happened. And when it comes down to it, it's just his quality of teammate has just declined, and it might have exposed him a little bit. Well, um, is he as good as a player as David Poyle advertises, or is he one of those guys that really needs good line mates to succeed? Mm, he's a fourth liner. I mean, he, he's a, he could be a third liner as long as he's not the main play driver. But I don't necessarily think he's anything better than than that. I don't. I mean, yeah, give him Nick Benito, and, and he's a third line. He's a third liner. Nick Benito has officially become a third liner because of the way he's played this season. Um, going off of Nick Benino, if the Predators were to make a trade before the deadline, do you think that Nick Benino would be shipped off? It, I mean, there's a lot of variables in this, but I think that if if the Predators are actively trying to sell and not trying to address some of their need, then Nick Benito would probably be your best player to, to trade off. And typically, I would suggest a guy like Kyle Turris, but Kyle Turris has sort of had a rebound here. He's been he dragged the third the third line, he dragged the fourth line, he got benched for a while, and then he came back and he scored, and everybody was really surprised by this. But Kyle Turris under Laviolette versus Kyle Turris with John Hines, considering that John Hines fights for the middle of the ice, and considering that Peter Laviolette loved to play on the perimeter. What do you think is going to happen with Kyle Turris' game within the next couple of weeks? So this also depends on a really big uh, variable. Is he going to play with Yakov Trenin and Austin Watson for a couple more games, or is he going to be given linemates that can actually score? And no disrespect to those two other players, because I really like Yakov Trenin. But at the same time, if you're putting a playmaker with, with two grinders, and he doesn't put any points, I mean, who's really going to be surprised? Right. And it's hard to judge that, considering John Hines just got to Nashville and it's only been one game. But they do have a game tonight. Uh, lines have not been sent out yet, but like you said, I really hope Kyle Turris gets better line mates. Now, I don't think it's unfair to say that there are some Predators underperforming right now. So, which player... And Nashville will most improve under John Hines. I would probably say Johansson. I think that offensively, if you're more working towards getting to the slot, then he's probably your best bet, especially with that big body and that long reach. And he's also so good at getting into the corners. He's one of the only predators that's above 50% as far as puck battles fun. And I think that's really going to benefit in a system that's based on possession and establishing possession and using that possession to get to areas that aren't easy to get to. So do you think that John Hines has a tall hill to climb in terms of getting the Predators back into playoff ready mode, or do you think that this is more of a just get-in year? I, I, I think this isn't such a big hill to climb. I think that they can definitely string together some wins. And you don't even have to read, like, totally redo the offense. You just have to, like, restructure it a little bit and try to get it in their heads and, and, tell, and tell the defense that, you know, every time 
every time you shoot in the point, that's twenty push-ups or that you know, hundred dollars. <laughs> like, just you know, tell them, tell them, we're really tell them you're focusing on getting to the, the hard areas of the ice, and I think that you'll solve a lot of your problems right there, and you'll actually even you you can outscore your shaky goaltend. I mean, I think you know the, the Sharks did it last season. I mean, the Predators came too. <laughs> if you. I forgot to mention at the top of the hour, George Matarangas is also a high school hockey coach. So he knows all too well about motivating players to fit the system. (laughs) Um, Now, George, I wanted to do something a little bit different. With the Christmas show, I asked personality questions. And I think that that made for some great content. It's no secret that Twitter is a great place to defend the prequel trilogy of Star Wars. Uh-huh. And I have to ask, what makes people not like the prequels? Take away Jar Jar, take away politics. Why do people not like episodes one, two, and three? I mean, they idolize, they idolize uh, you know, the fourth, fifth, and sixth movies. Anything that they came out with wasn't going to be good enough. I mean, they could have come out with just the exact same movies, legitimately just just re-released copies, and people would have found something to complain about. And I don't know why, because it's Star Wars. You're talking about space wizards lifting TV remotes with their hands because they don't want to get up from the couch. I mean, it's a great trilogy, and people don't like Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker either. I thought he did a great job for the char- for the for the script he was given, and for the character he was told to play. Yeah, George Lucas is not a good uh, dialogue writer. He, he's come out and said that himself, and I think that, especially with kind of a uh, a green cast, that there was you know people didn't step up and do enough. I mean, you, you hear from like uh, you hear from all the the. The people in the original ones, and they said that they were going through line by line and helping them rewrite the entire movie, as far as dialogue goes. Yeah, and you had personalities like Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher. I felt like Mark Hamill might have been a little bit of a happy-go-lucky guy, so maybe he didn't really help with the script. And you can kind of tell with that in Return of the Jedi, but. There are so many great things about the prequels that people don't appreciate. What do you think the prequels added to the Star Wars universe that isn't seen in the other two trilogies? I like the descent from the Republic into into a fascist government. I think that was really interesting in kind of showing how it's not some dramatic shift in how... They, they build it up and they build they build support and they build support and and eventually when the time is right they you know the emperor makes his move instead of it just kind of being this thing where there's you know one day everyone's laughing and smiling and the next day everyone's you know wearing red armbands <laughs> and saying that the emperor is the true you yeah, have the true leader. <laughs> You know, it's so funny that you say that because my answer to that question probably would have been lightsaber battles. Oh, well, that's great, too. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that the prequels were the best in terms of action. 
Um, have you seen Rise of Skywalker yet, or is that a stupid question? I, I have seen it. Okay. I don't know if you put anything on Twitter about it, but I am very vocal about The Rise of Skywalker. I'm going to go see it later today after this show. Just to take it into account, see it on a big screen one more time, what was the best part about Rise of Skywalker to you? Um, I Truth be told, I didn't love the movie. I don't... I, I like the action. I thought the action was cool. I, but otherwise, I wasn't a huge fan. This was just kind of a meh Star Wars movie to you? It's just, like, the, for, the Force Unleashed powers were cool. I liked that, how they, they carried, they took the spaceship out of the sky. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently there's a director's cut that cut the scene where Ray kisses uh, Kylo Ren, and there's, when they all stand when all the Jedi are talking to Rey as she's laying on the ground, apparently Abrams had all of the characters in costume behind Rey pushing her and helping her defeat the Emperor. Do you think that that cut would have made a better movie than what was released into theaters? No, because the premise is still stupid. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean the premise was still stupid? Like You can't just bring a major character back. And by the way, this totally undoes Darth Vader's arc at the very end of Return of the Jedi. Because <laughs> he died for nothing. But does he not become a Force ghost? Like, does he just go away? No, he becomes a Force ghost. And he did bring the Force back into balance. It's just the Force then got unbalanced 30 years later because of reasons. But if if the if Palpatine was never dead, then was the Force really unbalanced? Or, I'm sorry, rebalanced? Uh, yes, because for a time, everybody truly believed that the Force was balanced, and perception of reality is much more important than the reality itself. Okay, but what about Snoke? <laughs> he, was, he was out there doing things. <laughs> well, wasn't Palpatine Snoke? Wasn't that? You know, wasn't that a whole storyline as well? I, I think I believe that you're right about this. But you know, we don't know when Snoke came into play. What, was he? Did he rise after Kylo Ren was was born, or was he around there doing things before that? Well, there can only be two. And unless the Emperor made a quick phone call and a cutscene before he electrocuted Luke in Return of the Jedi, being like, hey, yo, Snoke, we need to get you on the Sith training program. I'm not really sure why there would have been three Sith in the first place. I don't know. What was your... Because the rules don't matter. Uh, well, the rules don't matter because it's Star Wars. Yeah. So, one more question. Who is... The most powerful Jedi. Objectively, with all nine movies, who is the number one Jedi? And actually, I lied. I have one more question after this. But who is the best Jedi in the Star Wars universe? I guess I'd probably have to go with Rey. They, they did it up pretty good. And 
Yeah, I feel pretty confident. You feel Maybe. good about Ray? Yeah. I mean, I am a diehard Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan Kenobi fan, and I'm also a diehard Hayden Christensen, Anakin Skywalker fan, but I think the most powerful Jedi is Luke. I oh, mean... Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. He defeated the Chosen One and the Emperor within a 10-minute time frame, so, you know... <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't necessarily know if I consider that defeating <laughs> Palpatine. Well, he defeated Palpatine by not giving in to him. Okay, I'll give you that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It is January 12th. Then the last season of Star Wars The Clone Wars comes out on February 17th. Have you watched, have you watched the first six seasons of Star Wars The Clone Wars? I've watched bits and pieces, but I, I have, I'm not as committed as other people are. Okay, have you seen The Mandalorian? I have not seen The Mandalorian yet. Oh my goodness. I know. Are you missing out on some content? That's Everyone keeps telling me that. It is it, The Mandalorian is coming out on Disney Plus next fall, and Star Wars The Clone Wars will be here on February 17th, right as baseball season is getting kicked in. All right. Well, George, thank you so much for joining me here on Puck Talk. It's great to be here. We're going to take a quick break. You are listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. Okay, so Sarah, I'm dropping you off at Emily's. Yep. And Josh, you're going to? Soccer, Dad. Soccer practice. Right. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to let you know when I pick you both up, I'll be wearing my short shorts. What? No! Yep. And my dorky dad hat, and I'm going to do my dad dance for all your friends. They'll love it! Seriously? Why? Because I like my short shorts. Of course, I could be talked out of it if you guys would just buckle up your seatbelts without giving me a hard time. It's important to get your kids to buckle up for safety, no matter what it takes. And sometimes, all it takes is your parental powers of persuasion. Okay, okay, we're buckling up. See, all buckled. Good choice. I'll just have to do my dad dance at dinner time. What, what? No! Do what you have to to make sure your kids are wearing their seatbelts, even on short drives. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information. Welcome back to Puck Talk on 91.5 WGRE. We're going to play a quick liner so that I don't get in trouble. This is former congressman and three-time presidential nominee, Dr. Ron Paul, and you are listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. Thank you, Mr. Paul. So, some quick headlines around the league. Sidney Crosby might be returning to the Penguins tonight which is a big deal considering that the Penguins have climbed all the way back into second place. He has missed 27 games with a core muscle injury, and it appears that the Pittsburgh Penguins' play will just drastically improve with Crosby on the ice because, of course, it will. Other stories include the Oilers, Cassian, Going after Matthew Tuchuk, Zach Cassian will have a hearing with the NHL Department of Safety for roughing and being an aggressor against Matthew Tuchuk, even though Tuchuk laid two very questionable hits on Cassian. The All-Star Game rosters are finally in here, and I will read 
names because that's what we do. Okay. Atlantic Division. From Detroit, you have Tyler Bertuzzi. From Ottawa, you have Anthony Duclair. From Buffalo, Jack Eichel. From Florida, Jonathan Huberdeau. From Toronto, Mitch Weiner, who's a very late addition. Austin Matthews from Toronto. David Pasternak, of course, he will serve as the captain. He's from Boston. Victor Hedman, Tampa Bay Lightning. Shea Weber from Montreal. Frederick Anderson from Toronto. And Tuka Rask from Boston. Now moving on to the Metro Division. Matthew Barzal, who's a part of the Islanders. Kyle Palmieri from the Devils. Artemi Pernarin from the Rangers. Travis Conzi from the Flyers. TJ Oshie from the Capitals. Carlson from the Capitals. Dougie Hamilton from the Hurricanes. Seth Jones from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Chris Letang from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Brayton Holpe from the Washington Capitals. And Tristan Jari, of course, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, Jake Gensel will replace Alex Ovechkin because he has elected not to play. Not surprisingly, you want to save your bullets. Considering the Capitals are in first place, best to just not risk injury. Moving on down, Patrick Kane in the Central Division will represent Chicago. Nathan McKinnon will represent Colorado. He will serve as the captain. Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron from St. Louis. Mark Shifley from the Jets. Tyler Sagan from Dallas. Eric Stahl from Minnesota. Roman Yossi, not surprisingly, from Nashville. Alex Petrangelo and Jordan Bennington from the St. Louis Blues once again. And Connor Hellebuck will serve as the second goalie for the Central Division. He is from the Winnipeg Jets. Now, last and certainly not least, Tomas Hurdle from the San Jose Sharks. First ever All-Star game. Congratulations, Tomas Hurdle. He will represent the Sharks. Leon Dreisaitl from the Edmonton Oilers. Anzi Kopitar from the Kings. Connor McDavid will serve as captain for the Pacific Division team. He is from the Oilers, of course. Elias Pettersson from Vancouver. Max Pacioretty from Vegas, Matthew Tuchuk from Calgary, Mark Giordano from the Calgary Flames as well, Quinn Hughes and Jacob Markstrom from the Canucks, and Darcy Kemper from Arizona. Couture and Silverberg from Anaheim and San Jose respectively were replaced, and Marc-Andre Fleury elected not to play. Now, The reason that the standings aren't as surprising anymore is because teams like the Edmonton Oilers have finally come back down to earth. James Neal stopped scoring as many goals. So now Edmonton is 53 points. They're 5-4-1 in their last 10. Not playing great. Not playing terrible. They're still in a wild card position. I think that Edmonton, if they continue on this track, won't make the playoffs. They They need to start playing a little bit better. Arizona has come to life, has stayed playing well for the last couple of games. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. And Taylor Hall, since joining the Arizona Coyotes, has put up 8 points in 12 games. Not too bad. So, I don't know how Taylor Hall... If you would have asked me at the beginning of the year if Taylor Hall would have ended up... In Arizona, I wouldn't have told you that you were crazy. But I'm the one that's crazy, apparently. Nick Schmaltz for the Arizona Coyotes currently leads the team with 35 points. 
the Coyotes don't have an explosive offense, but they play defense very well, and they're definitely benefiting from the play of Darcy Kemper, whose save percentage is 929. Not to take away from Aiden Hill, whose save percentage is 925. Goals against average for all three goaltenders. Antti Ranta, Aiden Hill, and Darcy Kemper. Goals against average less than three. That's the big difference. That's the reason the, the Coyotes are in the position that they're in. If you ask me what this team looks like in the playoffs, I'm not sure what they look like in the playoffs, but I do know that they're playing well right now, and if they continue to play this way, they will find themselves in the playoffs. Now, one team that had a really high ceiling and a really low floor was the Chicago Blackhawks. The Chicago Blackhawks currently sit at the bottom of the division, but I'm not entirely sure why. So let's take a look here. Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves lead the team in points, but the difference is Kane has put up 22 more points than Taves. Without Patrick Kane, the Blackhawks, maybe not the best. Robin Leonard has been the best goalie amongst him and Corey Crawford. Both save percentages are above 9, but the goals against average are 2.88 for Leonard and 3.09 for Crawford. So they're seeing a lot of shots. I think that if the Blackhawks want to get back into contention, then their defense needs to improve tremendously because outscoring opponents with a subpar offense is just not going to work. Also, a player that's underperformed is Alex Nylander and Brandon Saad. Two guys just haven't been on par with any of the rest of the team. Alex Debrinkit sort of having a weird year. They need more from him. They need more from Taves as well. But Patrick Kane has been the difference maker, and I don't think that the Blackhawks would be in as good of a position without their without their assistant captain Jonathan uh, Patrick Kane, excuse me. But looking back at the division, they're only eight points out of a wild card spot. Is it possible to get back into the mix? Absolutely, it's possible to get back in. I wouldn't rule out San Jose. I wouldn't rule out Minnesota. I would not rule out anybody that is outside of a wild card right now. Vancouver has been playing very well. They're 8-2-0. But teams like the Predators, the Wild, the Blackhawks, the Sharks, they're not completely out of it. They're not too far off from getting back into a position to make some noise because all teams have to do in this league is just get into the playoffs. That's all they have to do. But if I were going to make another too early to judge Stanley Cup prediction, I don't see how you could ignore the Boston Bruins and the St. Louis Blues again. Those are the two best teams in the league right now. They have not skipped the beat since last year. I don't know how the St. Louis Blues did not experience a Stanley Cup hangover. 
But nevertheless, we are here. It's really unfortunate, but who knows? Colorado is sort of an enigma because they have the highest goal differential in the Central Division with a plus 28, but they are 3-5-2 and two in their last 10. Dallas has played their best hockey since October ended. They, root, they routed the Nashville Predators in the Winter Classic. They're playing well. Winnipeg has sort of fallen off, not surprisingly. They will fall to the bottom of the division. The Wild is playing well, like the Wild. And the Chicago Blackhawks are the most disappointing team in the Central Division right now because of their inability to capitalize on their chances and win when they need to. That being said, they're 6-4-0 in their last 10. But the team that George and I fixated on and the team that I really wanted to highlight was Nashville because you're talking about a team that almost won the Stanley Cup. And then they win the President's Trophy. And then they win the division. And now they're not even a wild card position. And it's mid-January. That's not good. That's not good at all. Anyways... I'm going to go ahead and play the news. You are listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. Speculating at the White House. I'm Tim McGuire, AP News. This is Stevie Baker Watson, Athletic Director for DePaul University. You're listening to the radio home of DePaul Athletics, 91.5 WGRE. Thank you, Stevie. We are back with Puck Talk here on 91.5 WGRE at the top of the hour. If you just missed it, George Mataragnus for Penalty Box Radio came on and we discussed analytics and some teams. And, of course, Star Wars. Now, coming on, Eamon Smith, who is one of the new names in the Predators media arena. He is the founder of Just South Hockey. He has... It is a new blog covering the Nashville Predators on a consistent basis. Eamon, welcome to the show. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you just wake up there, Eamon? Uh, long night of celebrating after the Titans win. Yeah, go Titans, baby. <laughs> All right. So, Eamon, you cover the Nashville Predators and the Philadelphia Flyers on a consistent basis. Am I correct in that? Um, I don't cover the Flyers, but I've been a Flyers fan since like 2008 or 2009. Fair enough, fair enough. What do you think of the way that the Flyers have been playing through the midpoint of the year and what do you think the future holds for the latter half? Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I was really positive on the Flyers until the three stretches play. Um, they had won four in a row before the Christmas break, and then they went on a road trip, and they ended up only winning one game out of I think five or six. So I was I was pretty high on them. They were creeping into attention for the third spot in a very good metropolitan division and then now they've just kind of dropped down so where they're hanging for like the very edge of the wild card well so, is it due to a lack of offense because the leading scorer travis Konchny, is 
only with 38 points. Do you think it's a lack of offense? Um, I mean, Travis Konechny has played pretty well this year. Uh, Giroud's been good. Sean Couturier's been good. I don't think the offense has been too bad. I think it's been inconsistent, though. They've had games where they just can't score to save their lives. Um, it's better than last year because they're not having games where they look like they've forgotten how to complete a pass. But, um, <laughs> I mean, anything would be an improvement over last season in that regard. Uh, I think a lot of the problem has been that they haven't gotten consistent goaltending. Uh, Carter Hart has been really good at home, but he's been bad on the road. And then another huge issue has been uh, injuries, especially considering they lost Oscar Lindblom and Nolan Patrick for basically the season right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah, and looking at the where where the Flyers are in the standings, they are in the second place for the wild card. They're four, five, and one in their last ten. Flyers need a little bit more. Kevin Hayes was a pickup in the offseason. How do you think Kevin Hayes has played thus far? Uh, a lot of people have thought that you know we overpaid him or it was an unnecessary signing, whatever. Um, I thought it was a kind of an overpay at the time as well but he's played really really well this year uh, point totals notwithstanding he's especially been noticeable on the penalty kill which has been pretty terrible for the past like three or four years and he's been short- scoring like shorthanded goals and honestly he might be the best penalty killer I've ever seen um, <laughs> he's performed really really well yeah, and um, looking at names like uh, Jacob Voracek and Claude Giroux, are those guys underperforming in terms of offense, or is there a mix-up in coverage? Is there a system change? What's going on in terms of Claude Giroux? Because they definitely need him to score more. Giroux at this point in his career is not going to carry your team scoring-wise. He's not going to be the guy who scored 102 points the other year. He's not going to, you know, score like a million goals or a million points. He's a really good forward. He can take face-offs and win them for you. He drives play. He'll generate good scoring chances. And he's an excellent power play guy. But he's not going to be someone who can carry the team for stretches anymore. I've, I think we've seen Sean Couturier take over the title of best player on the team at this point. Um, Giroux, he's been pretty good, but I'd say this year he's having more like stretches where he'll disappear for a little bit. He won't generate a ton of sco- uh, goals or scoring chances. He'll always have at least like one noticeable play per game, but He's not a guy who will single-handedly win a matchup against the top line. And Voracek, he had a really rough start to the year, but I think he's picked it up since then. Same with James Van Riemsdyk, had kind of the same thing happening to him. Um, Since then, the, the two of them have kind of picked up their production. I think Voracek at this point in his career 
uh, the nice thing about him is you can kind of slide him up and down the lineup. And since he's such a skilled and talented player, um, his skating isn't what he used to be. So he's not going to be a guy who can play against like top lines. But if you put him up against the third line or something like that, then he will crush them in the matchup. Yeah. And once again, this is Eamon Smith of Just South Hockey. Eamon, there are a lot of young guys in Philadelphia still looking for their shot. Uh, it can This player can be in the farm system. This player can be on the team right now. But who is on the rise in Philadelphia? Uh, that's a really hard question. <laughs> there's, there's so many young players on the roster. And there's so many who jump between the roster and the AHL. And then you have also considering that we're missing two guys who are in their young 20s in Oscar Lindblom and Nolan Patrick. But, I mean, Travis Konechny is the obvious name that comes to mind. He just made the All-Star game for the first time in his career. He reached him at points. So that's a pretty clear guy who's on the rise. His career high in points was set last season at like 49. Um, and he's only ever scored around 20 goals in a season. So this year, he's on pace to break both of those totals. He's looking to have around like a 70-something point season. Pretty big for him. The Flyers just signed him to a contract extension for a long-term deal. And looking at his market value now for how much they're paying him, that's an excellent signing. Um, another guy, obviously, is Carter Hart. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Hart, he's been a little bit inconsistent this season, but he's also a 21-year-old goalie, so that's to be expected. He's having a pretty great year for a 21-year-old. Um, notoriously, 21-year-old goalies who come in after playing their year 20 season uh, kind of tend to struggle with adapting to the league again. Carey Price especially is a good example of that. Hart's really only been bad on a couple of stretches on the road, um, which was all it took for Flyers fans to <laughs> say that he was a bust and that we needed to trade for Jonathan Quick. Oh, boy. Hot takes. Uh, and then the last, the last guy I'd say who kind of flies under the radar a little bit more is uh, Nicholas Abe-Kubel. He's a really good bottom sixer. Uh, really young guy. He's physically, can penalty kill. Has a little bit of an edge to him. And he he's a good skater. Has a nice shot. Drives play. Um, and honestly, I've, I've been tracking Abe-Kubel for a really long time. I went to a couple of games in Lehigh Valley uh, while I was visiting Philly, and he he was always just a really entertaining guy to watch. Um, you know, he he is the guy for me that looks like the ideal modern NHL bottom sixer. He scored some nice goals in the past few games here, and he formed a really nice line with Kevin Hayes, and then you can kind of shift him up and down the lineup and win matchups with him. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the Flyers are in second place 
for the wild card. They have all these young guys. They have a lot of. They have a very high ceiling. I talked about a high ceiling and a low floor with the Chicago Blackhawks, but given the way that Philadelphia is hanging in there in a really tough division, given the way that they are able to just you know just just get in right, just get in. That's just the name of the game yeah. with the playoffs. But looking with about. 35 more games left in the NHL season. Will the Flyers maintain their hold on a wild card spot in the East? I really hope so. Um, Last season was kind of hellish, so I'd really love to see playoff hockey back in Philadelphia. Um, But in in all seriousness, the Flyers are a really promising team. I think they're just a piece or two away from really contending. Uh, their underlying numbers are okay. They're 11th in Corsi 4 percentage at 5v5, 16th in expected goals 4 percentage at 5v5. You know, good, pretty good, not great, just kind of middle of the pack. That's really been hurt by this past road trip. Um, but this is a really polarizing team. The roster has some really great talent but it isn't really deep anymore and it's pretty reliant on the young players to perform Uh, you really need guys like Joel Farabee Travis Sanheim Phil Myers Carter Hart and Nicholas Abe-Kubel to contribute hugely on a night-to-night basis as well as uh, you know the younger guys who are pretty established in the lineup like Ivan Provorov Um, and then also you need some slumping guys like Shane Gostisbehere, and uh, I guess you could formally say James Van Riemsdyk to start picking up their production. Uh, the team was especially hurt by Oscar Lindblom and uh, Norman Patrick's predicaments, um, which were just super unfortunate. They've had some bad injury luck this year. Uh, but, I mean, you have guys like Kevin Hayes, and uh, Matt Niskanen, who are kind of more stabilizing veteran presences. I think they're bringing the team together and making them a little bit more consistent as performers. The main thing is that they've got to figure out their issues on the road. They have the NHL's best home record. Um, I think they were 17-4-4 against teams in the East wow. at home. Uh They've played unbelievably well at home, but they're trailing in that wild card spot because they haven't been able to figure out their issues on the road. I think especially the big problem there has been the goaltending. Uh, Carter Hart's just had a couple stretches on the road where he seems like he's forgotten how to control rebounds. Uh, If he he figures that out, though, and they start winning some games uh, out of conference and on the road, I think they can potentially steal, you know, the third spot in the Metro away and make some big noise in the playoffs. Yeah. Big predictions here on Puck Talk, 91.5 WGRE. We're going to take a really quick break. Like I said, you are listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. What's going on, WGRE listeners? This is Peter Nechea, your programming director, right here at WGRE 91.5, your sound alternative. Woo! Back to we want you. Never 
And just like that, we are back with more Puck Talk here on 91.5 WGRE. With me right now on the phone is Eamon Smith, creator of Just South Hockey, which is a hockey blog. And he is Eamon is the newest name in Preds Media. So, Eamon, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Just South Hockey. Tell me about it. Tell me where this idea came. You know, t- tell me about what you envisioned with Just South Hockey. Okay, so I've I've liked hockey for a while now. Um, I only really started becoming a huge fan probably last year of middle school, first year of high school, and followed it pretty religiously throughout high school. Um, but I never really shared the fandom with anybody. Uh, I got really into writing fan posts on SB Nation um, probably around my junior or senior year, and the community reaction was pretty good. And I started interacting with members of Hockey Twitter a lot more and made some friendships through there and stuff like that, good connections. And I was talking to a couple of writers, and they really liked my material, and they said, you know, you should start writing. And that kind of sat in the back of my mind for a little while. But then eventually, I think it was after the Preds lost to the Detroit Red Wings at the very beginning of the year. I It was like 11 o'clock at night. I should have, by all means, been in bed. I probably had like a 9 o'clock class the next day. And instead, I was like, screw it. I'm going to start writing about the team. So <laughs> I made a really cheap uh, Blogspot website. I believe it was initially free, actually. And, you know, the UI was crappy, and I had to balance it <laughs> with writing for, like, the school paper, and then also my classes, obviously. But... Yeah, my first semester at Auburn, and probably around October, I started writing about the Predators. And since then, it's just kind of evolved. I, I gathered a little bit of a small and dedicated readership, and then I've just expanded more and more. I've gotten more and more ambitious with the site, until finally, recently, uh, I hired a Panthers writer, uh, Colby Guy, uh, who's a buddy of mine that I've met over Twitter, who goes to FAU and is like a regular at Panthers games. And we opened up a new WordPress site with a buying URL and getting some nice cosmetic stuff and everything. And now we have com, And I'm hoping that we can eventually develop it into a place where, you know, we have a forum for people and we could do like live streaming and stuff like that of the games and live post game. And then my greatest hope is that we can cover all of the hockey in the Southern region, like the SPHL and the Dallas Stars, Carolina Hurricanes, Tampa Bay Lightning, all of those teams. Yeah, and you can find all of Eamon's great content at on Twitter at Just South Hockey. 
J-U-S-T-S-O-U-T-H-H-O-C-K-E-Y. Now, Eamon, you said that you cover the Predators. Colby Guy covers the Panthers. I talked a little bit last hour with George Matarangas about the Nashville Predators, and now I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Do the Preds have more to give? And you're talking about a team that three years ago was in the Stanley Cup, two years ago won the President's Trophy, and then last year, I mean, it's 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 not a great thing, but they won the division. They won the Central Division title. You're talking about a, a really regressive track in terms of success. Do the Preds have more to give, or have did they peak, and now they're on the valley down? I think they do have a lot more to give. If you look at it, just the metrics alone, this is a top 10 team. The only thing that's really held them back this season, in my opinion, has been the coaching and the goaltending, and now you've removed half of that equation. So they definitely have more to give. The question is, can they pull out of the tailspin hard enough to really turn the season around, or are they just going to end up in the middle of the pack and get like a middling draft pick? I think there's a pretty likely chance that they end up just kind of finishing the year mediocre because they're still figuring out how to play John Hines' system effectively, and maybe the goaltending never really fixes itself. Um, In that case, I'd like to give guys like Connor Ingram a little bit of a look and everything. But the biggest problem has been, honestly, that Pecorina and UC Saros have been basically the worst tandem in the league by a lot of the numbers. I mean, they're both bottom six in goal saved above average and goal saved above expectation. That's not a recipe for success. Um, the team sits pretty high. I think they were sixth in Corsi four percentage. I said I checked. They they don't generate a ton of expected goals for per shot attempt. Uh, I guess the way to calculate that metric is expected goals per Fenwick 4. But they're not generating quality chances per shot on goal, which hopefully is rectified now that Hines is here. As we kind of saw in that first period the other night, they looked really good. Well, yeah. But, um, that that first period was a tale of two teams. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know that we can expect to see that level of play all the time, but I think the system itself and the emphasis on high danger scoring chances is something that's going to stick. So, I don't know if they if they manage to make it to the playoffs, then we're talking a completely different story. Because if their goaltenders just get hot at the right time, then you have an excellent 5v5 team. You have one of the deepest lineups in the NHL if you assemble it correctly. (coughs) Take out Austin Watson from the lineup. (laughs) Uh, And, I mean, you've got guys like Colin Blackwell. Uh, Yakov Turnin's played pretty well. And Kyle Turris is your fourth line center. And then you have the excellent third line. You have maybe the best bottom six in the NHL. And your top six is pretty good, too. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And obviously, under the new system with John Hines, he emphasizes the middle of the ice more. He emphasizes the same kind of energy that LaViolette emphasized, but instead of, you know, enter the zone, pass back to the point, and take a shot, he's more, Hines is more emphasizing the right shot over the amount of shots, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Quality over quantity, for sure. Yeah, and that was a cliche that Peter LaViolette used. I think that that was more of um, feeding Preds media a bone in terms of, yes, I understand the importance of quality shots, but still we're going to take 50 shots from the point. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's absolutely true. It was ridiculous, yeah. So you kind of highlighted it, briefly touched on it, but... What does the rest of the year look like for the Nashville Predators? Because the way that I see it, Hines fine-tunes this team a little bit. Even if they don't score three goals in the first period every night, if they're able to generate, say, a f- say five high-danger chances per period and limit the ones going the other way, they have a legitimate chance. But what does the rest of the year look like for the Nashville Predators, Eamon? That's a tough question. I mean, like I just said, you've got a couple different worlds. One where the team bottoms out, one where they end up in the middle, and one where they... I don't I don't think it's realistic that they grab like a top two spot in the division. But I could definitely see them taking the wild card. I think they're only six points back right now of the second wild card. And then maybe if they really get it going, you can see them sneak into the conversation for the third spot in the division. But I'd say the most realistic outcome for me is that they just kind of end up in the middle. Uh, That they miss the playoffs by the skin of their teeth. You get around like a 90 or 92-point season. And, you know, you'd take next year to kind of come back and crush it again. But the roster will be older at that point. I don't think you're going to get the same incredible years out of depth guys like Nick Bonino. Um, He'll probably regress back to the mean, as sad as that is, because he's had one of the dumbest years for any player in the NHL. I don't know. the big piece for me that really needs to get rolling, besides the aforementioned goaltending, is I'd like to see Mikhail Granlin start playing to his talent level. Um, there was a really good piece from PBR, I think, by either uh, Wade or George that uh, kind of broke down how Granlin's been playing this year, why he's not been an exactly above replacement level player for how much we gave up for him and how much we're paying him. Um, He's been a little bit of a disappointment in his time in Nashville. But then, you know, you look at his past two games and he played really, really well. Especially the game that comes to mind is uh, the loss to Boston. I thought that was one of his best games in a Predators uniform. He was, like, top three in basically every single metric. He was generating a lot of high-danger scoring chances. Um, He 
I think his greatest asset is making plays from behind the net down low. He's an excellent guy to make those team passes and, you know, set up slam dunk goals and stuff like that. And I think just the lack of emphasis on that with Laviolette's system just hurt his production tremendously. So you might see a little bit of a renaissance for Mikhail Gremlin in the next couple of games here. And if he can get surged in and gets put on a line with, you know, Duchesne and Forsberg again, then you've got another really, really good line. And now you've got three great lines and one that's maybe a little bit below replacement level in that Arvidsson and Johansson line with whoever they choose to pair with them. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's largely just about whether or not Pecorine and UC Saros figure it out. The Preds have done a pretty good job of limiting quality chances against. Um, I'm going to ignore the past couple of games because they have two NHL-level defensemen. <laughs> I, I don't think you can expect, you know, Jerry Tenorti no. offensive and defensive dynamo no. to he be is. playing at the same level as Ryan Ellis. No, no. There's a reason some people are made captains in the AHL. It's either they're on the rise or they definitely need to stay there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, him and... Carr have kind of proven that they need to stay in the NHL for the rest of their careers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. All right, folks, stay tuned. We have some more hockey content coming up from Eamon Smith and myself. You are listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. Parents, are you worried about your teens doing drugs? H is the new drug circulating in our schools and is marked by an unusually high pitch. Hi, Mom. What's up? Stop the usage of drugs by our teens. Listen to WGRE. For more help on stopping your teens, call 765-658-4641. This message has been brought to you by WGRE 91.5, your drug alternative. Every night, Jack Thomas camps out on a cold, lonely street corner. Tonight, some people almost brought him something to eat. Someone almost drove him to a shelter. Another almost brought him a warm blanket. And Jack Thomas, well, he almost made it through the night. Sometimes instead of giving, we almost give. But that's the same as not giving at all. Don't almost give. Give. Visit don'talmostgive.org. A message from the Ad Council. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back to Puck Talk on 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. With me... Spider Jack is Eamon Smith, creator of Just South Hockey. If you missed it, we talked briefly about the Philadelphia Flyers, and then we talked about the Nashville Predators. We've talked a lot about hockey, but one big thing in Tennessee right now that we have not talked about yet are the Tennessee Titans. Unfortunately, I have to care about the Tennessee Titans now for some reason. That's not an unfortunate thing. <laughs> The Titans have been invisible since 2009, and now they are finally back. They are playing in the AFC Championship next week. Amen. they beat the Baltimore Ravens, and it wasn't a close game. I mean, they laid the smackdown on the Ravens. Tell me your thoughts on the Tennessee Titans. I mean, just laying the boom on Lamar Jackson's Baltimore Ravens. This is a team 
This is an organization that drafted Jake Locker over J.J. Watt, and now we are a game away from going to the Super Bowl. That's unbelievable. John Robinson honestly might be in the conversation for the best general manager in the NFL. Like, you can you can take a look at the regular season records and say, you know, the Titans have gone 9-7 and seven for four years in a row. They've played in a pretty tough division. The AFC South has not been a cakewalk recently. I mean, Jacksonville came back down to earth, but they were really good for a year there. You have the Texans who are always pretty consistently good, and now they have Deshaun Watson who's taken them into a new level. Uh, and the Colts last year were pretty good. And, you know, that was the one year that they've missed the playoffs recently. So, I don't know. you you got to take a look and say Robinson's created a culture around this team. They don't play football the modern way. And somehow it works because Derrick Henry is just that much of a god. Like, it's unreal. <laughs> their, their whole team is a running back in a passing league. Yeah. And it works. It works. It, it He is a downhill runner. He's been a downhill runner since he was at Alabama. To put this into perspective, folks, Derrick Henry has more passing touchdowns in these playoffs than Tom Brady, and Derrick Henry also has more career passing touchdowns in the playoffs than Carson Wentz. Hey, you keep his name out your mouth. <laughs> Look, I don't argue stats, man. I don't I don't argue stats. All I'm saying is that Derrick Henry could play quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, the stats don't tell the story exactly. Because he's had two consecutive games with under 100 yards passing. And they beat the Patriots in Foxborough and the Ravens arguably the best team in the NFL during the regular season at home. Like, that's insane. And doesn't it Henry, Doesn't it bring you back to when the Predators were just backed up against the wall with so many different reasons that they should have lost in that fantastic Stanley Cup playoff run and they just won almost it all? Yeah, man. This feels like the same exact energy. Yeah, it's kind and, of, it reminds me a lot of, you know, I'm an Eagles fan too, and we had the Super Bowl run just a couple years back. I'm kind of getting spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, looking at the cap hits for Ryan Tannehill this year, the Titans are going to pay him $1.85 million. And the Dolphins are going to pay him $18.5 million just to stay out of Miami. Beautiful. I mean, you talk about a Cinderella story. Earl Thomas calling out the other teams in terms of defense. And then Derrick Henry spins him around and puts a kick-me sign on his back. I mean, you talk about an embarrassing loss for the Baltimore Ravens. It was glorious. Because they were talking an incredible amount of smack over Twitter. 
Um, it kind of reminds me, honestly, of when the Eagles just obliterated the Case Keenum Vikings in that 38-7 to game, which I will never let Vikings fans forget <laughs> for the rest of my life. Yeah, it was a similar feeling. I don't know. I, I don't want to get ahead of myself here because, again, you have to beat either the Chiefs or the Texans, and that's not an easy matchup. They lost to the Texans in the regular season. Uh, I mean, they have good history of success against Andy Reid, but I, I don't know how confident I feel. The secondary is kind of banged up a little bit right now. Patrick Mahomes scares the hell out of me. As he should. <laughs> yeah, the 49ers beat the Vikings 27-10, and the Titans beat the Ravens 28-12. Today's matchups, you have the Texans and the Chiefs and the Packers and the Seahawks. Amen. in terms of the AFC championship, the Titans are going to play either the Texans or the Chiefs. If you had to make a prediction on who's going to win who would you say? Because right now, the spread is Kansas City by 10. I would take Kansas City. You don't think Deshaun Watson's going to pull something out of his, his rabbit hat and you know bring something back to Houston? I think Watson is really good. I don't think their roster is quite strong enough this year. I mean, they barely escaped the Bills, who, granted, they have an excellent defense, but they're led on offense by Josh Allen. Yeah. Josh Allen, the same guy who tried to throw in the, like triple coverage twice yeah. on a drive that was supposed to be the game-winning drive for him, or at least the opportunity for it. And then also tried to lateral the ball to nobody while falling down on another crucial drive. And got really lucky that that wasn't returned. Like, I I just don't have confidence in this Texans defense against a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who's just a freaking savant. <laughs> yeah, and, well, I mean, looking in the NFC, the Packers and the Seahawks, that's going to be a really, really tough game for both teams. But I picture Green Bay... Coming out on top, I think that they're going to win, even though the Seahawks have been a legitimate threat since the beginning of the decade. I believe that the Packers are going to win. Spread is Green Bay by four. What do you think about the Seahawks and the Packers coming up? I legitimately think that Seattle is the better team. Oh, wow. You Okay, now you got to explain right here, bud. Uh, record for Green Bay doesn't mean jack like <laughs> if you if you look at a lot of those games and you watch them at all they're such like a feeble looking team they win a lot of their games because they're playing weaker competition or because they just get a couple of good runs from Aaron Jones really early in the game but like if you if you just watch there are There'll just be like a half where the offense stops functioning. And Aaron Rodgers looks like he's a robot that's been dunked in water. <laughs> like, he's just missing open throws. They can't get anything going in the run game. 
Their receivers can't get open. It just, I, Seattle doesn't have a stellar team from a roster talent standpoint this year, but I think they have the great equalizer, which is that they have a true stud elite MVP level quarterback, and I don't think the Packers have anywhere near that. If you look at basically any quarterback evaluation this year, Aaron Rodgers has just been kind of average. I mean... Average is 26 touchdown passes, though. Average is 26 touchdown passes over four interceptions and over 4,000 yards. (laughs) If you you just look, if you watch the game, he'll, he'll miss a lot of reads. He misses a lot of open throws. He's not the same Aaron Rodgers that he's always been. Uh, I'm not as good with football analytics, but I do tend to see the games from that perspective. And I just know a lot of the most respected guys in the analytics community have basically come out and said that from their evaluation standpoint, Rodgers is kind of average. I know especially... um, probably the guys that I trust the most when it comes to combining both analytics and the eye test evaluation are uh, Michael Kist and Benjamin Solak of Breeding Green Green Nation. Um, And for the matchup with the Packers, they did an evaluation of the Packers' offense. And they said, you know, Aaron Rodgers, ever since he had all those injuries, he's just not the same player. Age has caught up to him. I think Russell Wilson is a top two or three quarterback in the NFL this year. He's been unbelievable. 31 touchdowns, 4,110 yards, and a very excellent completion rate for Russell Wilson. I th- who do you think the difference maker is going to be in this game? Because if I'm Seattle, I'm looking at Tyler Lockett. Guy has eight touchdown passes on the year, 82 receptions, and over 1,000 yards. So I mean... Lockett's really good, but again, their offense is Russell Wilson. That's true. Um, you can't you can't deny who the offense for the Seattle Seahawks are. Yeah, like Russ, especially is going to have a heavy load on himself because you know Chris Carson got hurt. Um, Marshawn Lynch is their starting running back right now. Like old man Marshawn Lynch. Um. And I don't know. I think you'll see a strong performance in this game because the Packers' defense has kind of gotten exposed a little bit sometimes. Um, they have a really nice centerpiece in their secondary in Adrian Amos. And they have, you know, a couple of good young corners. But I think they, they have some times this year where they've blown coverage, especially I can just remember... You know, the final score of the Eagles game earlier this year against the Packers wasn't very reflective of, you know, how good of a beatdown it was from the Eagles' perspective because it ended up being a one-score game. Yeah, yeah. And now, Eamon, I got one more question before we got to take a break, before we got to go. So, one last question, Eamon. Pecorine scores his first NHL goal against the Chicago Blackhawks with about 20 seconds left in the third period. 
regardless of how Rene has played in net this year and regardless of whether the Predators make it into the playoffs, whether they win the Cup, whether they don't make the playoffs at all, is the season worth it just to see Pecorine scoring a goal? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when they're building his statue out front of Bridgestone Arena, if he doesn't ever win a Cup, that's what that's what you put on there. That that That's the statue. The statue is... Do you do the double arm Selly statue or do you do the release? Because I got to say, I've watched a lot of hockey and that was one of the most beautiful releases I've ever seen. Elite from a goalie. <laughs> you know, tertiary uh, scoring is what wins Stanley Cups. I've always said that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Eamon, thank you so much for joining me here on Puck Talk today. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on, Jack. All right, folks, we're going to take a really quick break here. You're listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. I'm Tyler Rosen, your sports director at WGRE 91.5, your sound alternative. April 28, 1949, WGRE signs on the air, and for the next seven decades, the music never stops. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the formal opening of WGRE. Where did you get that cute look? You look great. Well, thank you, fellas. Oh, oh, hold me close, hold me tight, make me thrill with divine. No one throttle up. great DJs than you can shake a stick at. After 70 years, one thing is certain. We're just getting warmed up. 91.5 WGRE Your sound alternative. Hi, this is Joe Buck from Fox Sports and you're listening to Putnam County's home of Tiger Athletics. 91.5 WGRE Greencastle. Your sound alternative. Thank you, Buck. Welcome back to Puck Talk with Spider Jack here on 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. If you just missed it, at 10 a.m., George Matarangas, analytics writer for Penalty Box Radio and podcast of podcast host of Between the Fangs, came on. We talked about everything analytics in terms of the Predators. We talked a little bit about Star Wars, talked a little bit about hockey analytics in general we talked mainly about the national predators and at the top of the hour we brought Eamon smith on from just south hockey 
hockey blog down in Nashville, Tennessee, one of my good friends from elementary school. And he and I talked about the Flyers, the Predators, and of course, the huge game between the Titans and whoever wins today between the Texans and the Chiefs. Now, we've got about 12 minutes left before first edition of Puck Talk in the new year is over, but... One team that I completely glossed over was the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Tampa Bay Lightning in their last 10 are 10 and 0. Good enough to climb back into second place into their division. Nikita Kucherov leading the way with 49 points, shooting percentage at 13.7. Not too far behind. Steven Stamkos with 44 points behind him. Braden Point with 40 points, as well as Victor Hedman with 40 points. The Lightning are back, and they are striking in big ways, pun intended. (laughs) Sorry, I made myself laugh there. But you look at the way that the Atlantic Division is set up right now, and teams like the Boston Bruins, who have been just start from the very get-go, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, who have had a resurgence ever since Mike Babcock was kicked out of there. Teams like the Carolina Hurricanes and the Philadelphia Flyers who held spots in the top three are kind of trailing off right now. And teams that are expected to be back in the playoffs, the Maple Leafs, the Bruins, and the Lightning, they're now in the position where they are about to strike. I don't know since it's January, and if you're on a 10-game win streak, if that means that you peak too early. But still, looking at this Atlantic division... The Panthers, the Sabres, the Canadians, the Senators, and the Red Wings all trail the three dynasties. The closest right now to overcoming one of the top three are the Florida Panthers, who are 6-4-0 in their last 10. Here's the deal. Now that the Atlantic Division has been balanced out, it's only a matter of time before every division starts getting balanced out. As I mentioned earlier in the show... The Oilers and the Canucks, who held the number one and two spot, respectively, back before Christmas, are now fourth and fifth in in the division with Calgary, Arizona, and Vegas. I did not expect Arizona to be so good, but I'm sure that the Arizona Coyotes did not expect Darcy Kemper to be so good. (laughs) Um, The Calgary Flames and the Vegas Golden Knights are not a surprise in the Pacific Division. Vegas kind of having a weird year. They're on a three-game losing streak right now, 5-5-0 five, five and oh in their last 10. Marc-Andre Fleury elected not to play in the All-Star game. Vegas, I looking before the season, I always thought that it was Vegas's division to lose. And now they're sitting in third place, only a point behind the Calgary Flames, tied with the Arizona Coyotes. I guess my question for Vegas fans is what do you expect out of this team going forward, right? They've made it to the playoffs. They've come so close first year, come back the next year, get eliminated. I don't know what the future holds for the Vegas Golden Knights, but if I had to make a prediction before the season, and I had before, I would have suspected that Vegas won the Pacific Division and Colorado won the Central Division, and they're both sitting in third place in their respective divisions with the same amount of points. I'm not entirely sure how the rest of the year is going to go 
in terms of the Western Conference. The Eastern Conference is pretty much locked down, I would say. You expect teams like the Capitals and the Bruins and the Lightning and the Maple Leafs and the Penguins and the Islanders to step up with maybe a Carolina Hurricanes to surprise people. But in terms of the Western Conference, it's wide open. It's wide open. It's anybody's for the taking. I think the only guaranteed lock are the St. Louis Blues, who hold a nine-point differential between first place and second place. The Dallas Stars, I think, will make the playoffs. Winnipeg Jets have been riding some really good goaltending as of late, but they're 4-4-2 in their last 10. I'm not sure how the Jets will, how the rest of the season will play out. I think that the Predators will eventually take over the Jets into the fourth place. The wild card is a different question, though, because they still have to fight teams from the Pacific Division because Edmonton, even though they're 5-4-1, and one, are still a very good team. You know, the difference right now between the Edmonton Oilers being great and the Edmonton Oilers being where they are is depth scoring. Obviously, you got guys like Dreisaitl and McDavid who are going to put up Gretzky numbers, but... James Neal was extremely hot to start the year, and since then he's cooled off. He has scored five goals since the last puck talk, and it's been about a month. So, in terms of what James Neal is bringing to the Edmonton Oilers, he needs to get hot again. He needs to get hot, and I would say the same thing about the Vancouver Canucks if they want that wild card spot as well. Because the Vancouver Canucks and the Edmonton Oilers have a very good chance of making the playoffs this year. And last year, you probably wouldn't have said that. But with teams like Nashville and Winnipeg and Minnesota and Chicago kind of spinning their tires and with San Jose, I guess, completely wiping out on the backstretch, that's a NASCAR reference, then I'm not really sure what the wild card will look like come April. I have no idea because there are a lot of directions these teams can go. If Nashville suddenly plays well under John Hines' system and if John Hines is able to correct the course and the Predators are able to get back into the mix and back into the wild card spot at the very least, then that becomes a whole new ball game. It becomes a whole different playoff race because if Nashville is able to just Tweak the minor things, right? Get to the dirty areas, help Pecorine out, and if Rene and Soros are able to get hot at the right time, I don't know, folks. It might look like Nashville has a good chance to get back into the playoffs. And the same thing goes for Chicago. The same thing goes for Minnesota, for that matter. I'd even throw San Jose in that mix. Those four teams that are sitting at 47 points and 46, 46, 46. Those four teams are not out of it by any stretch of the means. They're not playing great hockey right now, but it's February when you got to worry about things. February is when it's, all right, it's time to really put it together and really start playing at peak performance. Because... January still has time and room for improvement, but time is slowly and most assuredly running out for those four teams. That being said, 
I think that the Edmonton Oilers and Vancouver Canucks will continue to play the same way that they've been playing over the course of the season. I think that Vancouver will eventually cool off their 8-2-0 run. But looking at where these teams are, if I had to make a very liberal prediction on what the playoffs will look like this this year, I think that Nashville scrapes by, gets the second wild card spot. I think that Edmonton eventually falls off the map, goes back, and they clearly have a, a, a new sense of life up in Edmonton. I think that Vancouver makes the playoffs. I think Nashville makes the playoffs via the wild card. And I think that the Central Division stays the same that it is right now. I don't see any changes in the Pacific Division, any drastic changes anyways. There are no there's gonna be no drastic changes in the Eastern Conference in terms of where the Capitals stand and where the Bruins stand and where the Tampa Bay Lightning are going. I just don't see how and where the Lightning I just don't see how and where the Eastern Conference is going to change. And I don't see a sleeper team anywhere out there. I think that with the way that these teams are set up, you're either really good and you got a shot or you're kind of okay and you suck. I mean, that's just me because the Rangers, who I wouldn't have suspected would be in the same position that the Predators are in, are also tied with Buffalo. And Buffalo held a spot in the top three in the Atlantic Division before Puck Talk went off the air for the winter. So, anything can happen. Like I said, anything can happen. But I don't see any drastic changes in terms of where the divisions lie right now. Um, and before I have to go off the air, I we have talked the Nashville Predators the entire show. Um, but I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the Indy Fuel. The Indy Fuel is the ECHL affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. They're based here in Indianapolis, and they are it's the equivalent of double A in terms of um it's the equivalent of double A. All right, but ECHL Indy Fuel Games, Thursday, January 16th, Friday, January 17th, and Saturday, January 18th. All home games here in Indianapolis. You need to go out. You need to support your local hockey teams. You need to give back to the community. And before I have to go off the air, I will say this. Peter Laviolette getting fired was the best thing for the Nashville Predators because now they have new life. They have new means. They have a new way of getting back into the Central Division. All right, folks. That'll do it here from me at 91.5 WGRE. Thank you for tuning in. Up next, we'll play the news at the top of the hour like we always do. Puck Talk will be back this Wednesday from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for tuning in, and you're listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. Hey, this is Jenna Fisher, and you're listening to WGRE Greencastle.